0: So it is now official, Akron-based Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company has completed its acquisition of Findlay-based Cooper Tire and Rubber Company, a deal that was announced several weeks ago. It's almost a full circle, no pun intended, for Cooper Tire, founded as the M&M Manufacturing Company in 1914 in Akron. Uh, actually uh, came to Findlay in 1922. So uh, the uh, original company uh, produced tire patches, tire cement, and repair kits. Uh, purchased the giant tire and rubber company, and uh, which is a tire rebuilding business. Uh, and in 1922, moved the business to the uh, intersection of Lima and Western Avenues in Findlay, where they still located today, now is a subsidiary of Cooper Tire. I did not know that. Um, and uh, the uh, Cooper name actually comes from an uh, uh, auto parts dealer by the name of I.J. Cooper, uh, who uh, formed the Cooper Corporation to manufacture new tires. And the Cooper Corporation and the m M&M and Company, and the Falls Rubber Company all merged in 1930 to form Master Tire and Rubber Company, which then changed its name to Cooper Tire and Rubber Company in 1946. company went public in 1960. And here we are today in 2021, the next evolution. Interesting. I know that uh, for a lot of folks, it's a bit uh, bittersweet but uh, it is just the next evolution of uh, corporate business this is what happens in the corporate business world good mornings i'm chris oaks and coming up today with pandemic restrictions being lifted how well is ohio poised for a full economic rebound some clues can be found in wallet hub's new report on the best and worst state economies in 2021 we'll dig into the numbers also, this morning, after having been all but eradicated for decades, bed bugs have made a major comeback in recent years. And like most pests, preventing an infestation is much easier and less expensive than getting rid of one. And the kids are home for the summer, better make sure they've got plenty of healthy options to snack on as they're munching through the day. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, June 8th, 2021. Today is Best Friends Day. You know that? So, uh, give a call to your Best Friend Day. And after after you're done calling your best friend, call your doctor. It is Call Your Doctor Day today. Uh, Jelly-Filled Donut Day (laughs) today. If you have too many jelly-filled donuts, you may have to call your doctor. Uh, It is World Brain Tumor Day. (laughs) There's something worth celebrating. It is World Brain Tumor Day. World Oceans Day, World Pet Memorial Day, and it is Oopsie Daisy Day. You know, what do we all say? Stub your toe or you stumble over something. Oopsie Daisy. Oopsie Daisy. Oopsie Daisy Day. So, reasons to celebrate today. Always a reason to celebrate. So, uh, we started this show yesterday. We mentioned that the uh, Supreme Court was uh, set to decide whether they would take up the case of whether. The uh, military draft in this country uh, is gender discriminatory. And apparently, because only young men have to register for the draft, young women do not. The Supreme Court yesterday declined to hear the case, uh, which was a challenge brought by, I believe, a wing of the ACLU, and there were some other groups involved saying, hey, If you're going to make 18-year-old men register for the draft, you should have to make 18-year-old women register for the draft. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, the court has actually ruled on this before. Several years ago, they upheld the male-only selective service registration requirement because at that time, women could not serve in combat roles in the military, and Therefore, uh, that was used, but that, that is, restriction has since gone away. And so the basis of that ruling no longer applies. So it would seem as though uh, this, that requirement would be ripe for revisiting. But the court said, no, they're going to defer to Congress, as they typically do on matters of national military and national defense, except in extreme circumstances. And apparently there is uh, some talk in Congress about eliminating the mail-only requirement for uh, selective service registration. So anyway, we'll see where this goes. Probably have not heard the last of it, but I just thought it was kind of interesting a follow up uh, because we happened to mention it yesterday that it, uh, the court might take it up, but as it turns out, they will. they will not. And again, none of this is a constitutional challenge to the idea of Selective service which I've always thought was kind of a, a strange a strange thing and I know there are a lot of different uh, feelings about the draft and and all of that but it does seem odd in a country founded on freedoms and you know the idea that the government works for us not the other way around that it we have a system where the government can tell you, you have to go uh, serve in the military. You know what I mean? It does seem a bit odd when you think about it. But nonetheless, I'm not going to get into all of that. I just thought it was kind of interesting. The uh, court decided not to take up that uh, that case. So for now, it uh, remains a mail-only Selective Service registration. We haven't had the draft in years anyway, but uh, just kind of interesting. So, uh, the other big story yesterday, everybody was talking about uh, the uh, royal birth. Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle uh, had their uh, second child, first daughter. And apparently, the uh, big brouhaha among some royal watchers was the decision to name their daughter Lilibet in honor of the queen, because that's her nickname. And some saw this. As an insult. However, uh, news reports are that Harry actually called his grandmother to get permission first. Uh, Apparently, Prince Harry very close to his grandmother, despite having quit the royal family. Um, Angela Levin, who is a royal commenter in Great Britain, uh, told one of the morning shows over there in the UK that the decision to name the baby... Lilibet was rude, but uh, announcing the birth of Lilibet Diana, a statement released by Harry and Meghan, uh, read Lily is named after her great-grandmother, Her Majesty the Queen, whose family nickname is Lilibet. She's also named for her late grandmother, Princess Diana. Uh, Buckingham Palace spokesperson released a statement uh, Sunday expressing the family's delight written on behalf of the Queen, Prince Charles and Camilla. Uh, duchess of cornwall and prince william and Kate middleton and uh, so anyway I, but this was royal watchers thought oh what an insult they've named the child after the queen's nickname but apparently she's fine with it so if she's fine with it shut up <laughs> you know some people just have to be upset about something i guess there's another example a couple of other uh, things among the uh, first things you need to know this morning. You knew that this was going to happen, right? Um, you had the state of Ohio uh, that launched the Vax-a-Million drawing again, another million dollar drawing this week, and I think two more after that. Other states followed suit. Uh, there are corporate partners that are hopping on board, offering free stuff to those who are vaccinated. And now, the next logical extension in the state of Washington, marijuana dispensaries are offering a joint for a jab. (laughs) The Washington Liquor and Cannabis Control Board has approved a promotion where legal pot stores can offer a free joint to customers who can document that they have been vaccinated against COVID-19. And they're actually holding in-store clinics in marijuana stores in the state of Washington. Now, that is, that is truly going full circle. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is truly going full circle uh, for both COVID-19 and for legalized marijuana. Uh, they can only offer one complimentary joint per customer. But stores can take part in the promotion through July 12th. So for the next month in Washington, and it does not say, the report that I see here, it does not say whether or not you have to be a legal resident of the state of Washington. (laughs) So if you're looking for this particular incentive, you want to fly out to Seattle for (laughs) a joint and a jab, I I guess you, you probably can. Uh, Let's see the other big story uh, related to the pandemic has been how difficult it has been for many businesses to restart post pandemic because they are having such a tough time finding workers. Uh, One pizzeria in Rhode Island has come up with a solution. They have added a robot to their team of employees. The co-owner of Angelo's Palace Pizza, Bill Kitsilis uh, tells local news reporters he purchased a robot known as the Servi to bring food to the table. So you go to uh, Angelo's Palace Pizza, whose owner is not named Angelo, which is weird, but you have that sometimes, I guess. Anyway, you go to uh, Angelo's Pizza place in Rhode Island there, and uh, a robot will bring your pie to your table he says uh, the robot has been programmed with the restaurant's layout so it is able to go to any table just punch in what table to serve it to and boom there it goes um he said having the robot will allow his servers who aren't really servers anymore because they're not doing any serving but it will allow the servers to spend more time with guests instead of running around delivering food and it probably addresses the uh, issue of uh, not enough employees, and this is again just the next logical extension that started with those self-ordering kiosks at certain restaurants. You go into that, you don't talk to an order taker, you just you know touch the screen and uh, order it yourself. You got self-checkout lines in grocery stores and all of that. Those entry-level jobs going away. Um, and how about this? You think that politics in this country has gone off the rails in some cases? Check this out in Mexico. There is a candidate running for a spot in parliament in Mexico on a promise of free boob jobs for every woman in the country what 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 did you say what did you say now apparently uh the uh, candidate has a uh, history as an adult actress in online adult videos <laughs> and she's running for a spot in uh mexican in mexico's parliament on a promise of uh free enhancements for all women uh Rocio Pino, is that how you pronounce it? Is a member of the Progressive Social Networks Party has launched her campaign for office in Mexico's Chamber of Deputies. The political hopeful told the Daily Star she wants to she wants every woman to enjoy their bodies, and she will make sure that uh, everybody has a shot at a free augmentation. She did point out she's going to make sure that uh, cancer survivors are at the front of the line. So that's actually kind of nice. Uh, But uh, her now viral campaign features slogans centered around um, this particular pledge as part of her platform. And uh, she has some very interesting campaign signs with her uh, image. uh, Well, obviously. Uh, Suddenly, for anyone who didn't like Donald Trump, the reality show president, <laughs> you, can point, you can point this story out and say, see, it's not that bad. <laughs> it, it ain't that bad. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to start off your Tuesday morning. WFIN News.
1: I'm Matt Demchak. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Scattered showers and storms today with a high in the mid-80s. A chance of showers and storms tonight low around 70. Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company of Akron has completed its acquisition of Cooper Tire and Rubber Company of Findlay, finalizing the $2.5 billion deal that was made public in February. Findlay Hancock County Economic Development Director Tim Miley says he and the mayor had a good meeting with Goodyear.
2: Last week, Mayor Murn and I had a, a very good meeting with Goodyear. They were talking about not only the strength of the manufacturing plant, but how do they get involved in the community. So they're going to be a good corporate partner and continue to invest in that plant. So feels very good about that.
1: He said he doesn't expect any job losses with the manufacturing operation in Findlay. And while the combined company will be headquartered in Akron, Goodyear is committed to maintaining an office presence in Findlay. Get more on our website. A Finley teenager was killed in a crash on Interstate 75. The Highway Patrol says the 18-year-old was driving northbound on I-75 when her car went off the right side of the road and struck the bridge abutment at County Road 99. The crash remains under investigation by the Highway Patrol's Findlay Post. The parents of an 8-year-old boy who killed himself after being bullied repeatedly at a Cincinnati school have reached a tentative $3 million settlement with the school district. The agreement announced Friday will go to the school board for Cincinnati Public Schools for approval in the Gabriel Tay case that dates to 2017. The schools also agreed to actions to prevent a repeat of such bullying with such steps as training and supervising all staff on anti-bullying reforms and working to identify repeat offenders, victims, and locations. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. The Human Rights Campaign has ranked Marathon Petroleum as the best place to work for LGBTQ equality for the second consecutive year. For 2021, Marathon scored a 100% on the Corporate Equality Index Survey. To earn a perfect score, companies must meet all criteria relating to equality and inclusion. June is Pride Month, and last weekend was Finley Pride Weekend. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com.
0: Well, with pandemic restrictions being eased as vaccination rates increase, we turn our attention to the post-pandemic economic recovery, and not surprisingly, some states were harder hit than others, and some states are better poised for recovery than others. WalletHub this week is out with its report on 2021's best and worst state economies. Jill Gonzalez of WalletHub is with us this morning. And by the way, a proud alum of the Ohio State University, so we want to make sure that We point that out. Jill, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
3: Of course. Go back.
0: (laughs) So uh, before we get into some of the numbers and and where Ohio ranks on this list, talk about the methodology a bit. What criteria do you use to gauge each each state's economy?
4: Well, we looked at all 50 states in D.C. across 29 different indicators of economic performance and economic strength right now. So that data set ranges from things like GDP growth over the past year to startup activity to the share of jobs in high tech industries to really see not only the economic health, but also the economic activity going on and any innovation potential that there is from state to state.
0: And, and the reason I think it is important to point that out is that you are using empirical data here. It's not uh, injecting the kind of bias which can come from advocating a certain political agenda or promoting specific policies or legislation. These are verifiable, quantifiable numbers.
4: Exactly. So this is a study. We use existing data. It's not... A survey where kind of opinion could change things. So all of these are from places like the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, the Council for Community and Economic Research, so all existing data points.
0: And all uh, data points that we know speak to the health and the direction of an economy. So according to your ranking, Utah is number one for the best state economy. Hawaii, dead last on the list, which is, again, probably not surprising, as uh, reliant as that economy is on tourism, which was all but non-existent last year. Ohio is not... In the top or bottom 10, but we are uh, closer to the bottom than the top. Why?
4: Yeah, Ohio ranks
0: 35th. So number one, would obviously the best
4: Uh, 51 is last year. So 35th is closer to the bottom than to the top. A lot of that has to do with economic activity, with things like startup activity and new businesses. We obviously saw a lot of closures in the past year, more so than openings in Ohio. And Ohio right now has one of the lowest state government surpluses per capita as well. So not only, you know, looking at startup activity and things like that, but also just from the governmental perspective, I'm definitely more of a deficit than other states.
0: So you look at some of these, uh, again, data points that tell us where we are at this point, uh What can you glean from the numbers which may indicate uh, how healthy we are for a reboot and a recovery post-pandemic?
4: Well, there's definitely work to be done in Ohio. You know, we, we want to see more of a positive change in GDP next year. I mean, no state did well in terms of GDP, but Ohio specifically, you know, I think it's poised to have more of a recovery because. It's not a state with all of its eggs in one basket. You know, it has agriculture and manufacturing, things that definitely did do well, you know, instead of tourism or something like that. So I think that it, it has more recovery to be made here. Hopefully within the next year, we'll see things really start to change.
0: I would imagine that generally speaking, you don't see dramatic shifts in these numbers from one year to the next. I mean, you can spot trends over time, but by the nature of the metrics you use, it would be uncommon for any state to go, say, from the bottom 10 to the top 10 in a single year. But over the course of this year, uh, in 2021, I wonder how much upheaval we might see. For example, you know businesses are offering sign-on bonuses and much higher starting wages right now to attract workers, and uh, that will definitely impact some of your metrics as you factor in 2021 numbers for household income, personal income, uh, part-time versus full-time employment, and, and so on. Uh, it remains to be seen if those will be long-term changes or something unique to the necessity of the day. So what among these metrics will be most interesting to you moving forward to see how the needle changes post-pandemic?
4: I would say usually, you know, that's absolutely the case, but this is not a regular year. So I think we would see, you know, some pretty big swings in everything from unemployment rates to startup activity. You know, a lot of people kind of around the country and in Ohio we're able to start businesses of their own or we're able to mm-hmm. start maybe a side project because they can now work remotely. So that's going to change hugely as well. Uh, so those numbers I'd be very interested to see.
0: It will, I would imagine also it's worth noting that again, when you, when you talk about the changes uh, that that we are seeing right now, post pandemic, whether these will be lasting changes or not, it may be, Uh, A couple of years from now before we actually have the data to say, you know, these were permanent changes or this was uh, just, again, the necessity of the day, kind of a flash in the pan, if you will.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of these numbers we will see sooner than others, you know, when we're looking at jobs Mm -hmm. and uh, unemployment and underemployment, but some, you know, when it comes to R&D investment or... startup activity GDP you know those we are going to have to wait for yeah but they should be again very exciting numbers
0: so uh, the long and short of the way I look at these numbers which are, are really interesting 20 these numbers that we have now tell us where we are at this moment 2021s will tell us uh where we uh are immediate in the immediate post-pandemic period and maybe 2022 2023 will really give the story of how this all impacted the economy long term again because a lot of the economic policies that we see right now uh, were born out of previous downturns all the way back to the great depression so it'll be interesting in future years to see what kind of lasting impact all of this had
4: Exactly. So that's what we're going to be taking a look at. Again, we're looking at economic activity, economic health, innovation potential. And I think that last category, you know, there's a lot of room for new things in the market mm-hmm. for a lot of missteps that were seen during the pandemic. So I think that might be very exciting.
0: So, again, uh, largely a measure of where each state, including Ohio, is right now, also gives us some clues as to which states are best positioned for a recovery and where that recovery might be, where we might struggle moving forward. Joe Gonzalez of Wallet Hub is with us this morning. Their uh, report on 2021's best and worst state economies. And you have all of this data for those who want to dig into the numbers on your website, correct?
4: Exactly. So this is the 2021's best and worst state economies. It's all at wallethub.com. You can see exactly where Ohio ranks and neighboring states as well.
0: Well, there are many reasons why we have seen a resurgence of bed bugs in recent years, but the bottom line is that they are back, they are nasty, and they are a pain in the you know what to get rid of back in november of 2019 experts at allergy technologies went on the attack against this pest launching a strategic approach to bed bug control and prevention joseph latino is the president of allergy technologies and joseph how big of a problem are bed bugs in the u.s in 2021
2: chris thank you for having me um the problem is fairly ubiquitous throughout the United States, and so We kind of coined the expression from the Pacific Northwest, the Florida Keys, and from coast to coast. Um, although there's no particular clearinghouse to be able to quantify the exact number of incidents that occur, um, most of the, the largest service providers uh, provide their top 20 or top 50 infested lists each year. and. Uh, You'd be surprised. Aside from all the urban centers that you would expect to make these, all of a sudden, small little areas, even cities like Toledo, for example, I think uh, hit number 50 in one of the lists last year. Mm. So I mean, no one is, uh, as I no one's absolved from this uh, this problem. Um, the National Pest Management Association uh, <clears throat> has typically uh, publishes all of these. Uh, Various um, factoids about bed bugs. I'd like to share some of them with your listeners. Please uh, do. Almost all pest management professionals throughout the country have actually treated for bed bugs in the last year, and their prevalence of bed bugs continues to increase. Uh, the top three places where pest professionals find bed bugs are single family homes, apartments, and condos. They come in at about 90% of the time, followed immediately by hotels and motels.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: However, Maybe some places you wouldn't be thinking about them. Nursing homes, schools and daycare centers, offices, college dorms, hospitals, and even public transportation have met with the problem. And, you know, from our standpoint, as you introduced me as a speaker and the work that we're doing with the attack program, we actually recognize as many experts in the field that the single largest repository for bedbugs in the U.S. is considered to be affordable housing. And probably the most difficult, difficult to control, I should say, uh, due to many factors. Not only the pest itself is difficult to control, however, because of cash constraints, concerns over being evicted, uh, social stigma of bed bugs, um, bed bugs in affordable housing is a tremendous problem throughout the U.S.
0: Yeah. So, we outline uh, the issues with this resurgence. What kind of problems can bed, bug, bed bugs cause aside from the obvious bites that we were warned about as kids? Don't let the bed bugs bite. I mean, is this more uh, of an annoyance pest or are there health issues uh, in conjunction with this as well?
2: Right. There is no bona fide scientific evidence that bed bugs convey or transmit disease, or at least nothing to date that is worth reporting. However, um, only 70%, I mean, it's still a, a vast majority, 70% of people actually react to bed bug bites and develop those welts, as you say. 30% do not. However, it's not the welt per se, but the scratching and the breaking of the skin surface. They're very itchy. For most people, it is an annoyance. It's a public nuisance. However, for the elderly, uh, for those that are immunocompromised because of medication or some sort of other underlying infection, mm. newborns—all who have kind of immune-compromised systems—frequently uh, the skin infections can turn into major problems that require medical attention, and even hospitalization. But then, of course, there's the emotional and the psychological aspect of it. Right. You know, as children, we were geared the bed as being the, uh, so to speak, the sanctuary, the haven. And this bed actually, this pest, I should say, actually targets those beds because that's where their blood meal is. That's where we reside. Yeah, right. So I think that's what brings that factor
0: well and it, it sounds as though to hear you talk about you know the stigma the the fact that it is uh, an annoyance potentially some issues for those who may be immunocompromised and you know all that it, it, it sounds like very close to uh, lice infant infestation for for example i mean a lot of the same types of of things especially when it comes to the stigma and, and so on and once you have an infestation. It can be difficult and potentially expensive to get rid of them. So prevention, obviously, is the key. Tell us a little bit about your program that you alluded to and how this works.
2: Well, as I had mentioned that um, affordable housing is one of the major repositories, or the single biggest repository, we recognize that affordable housing control and prevention of bed bugs just did not exist before we entered into the fray. And a lot of the problems associated with treating affordable housing um and the complaints that you hear from researchers and pest management control professionals about lack of compliance and all the financial constraints, we kind of took that all into consideration and developed the attack program. And the attack program was developed to be a preventive based facility wide approach rather than reactively treating units when they got reported. We're looking at kind of holistically at the entire property. Uh, We started off in 2019, late 2019, in a site in Philadelphia, uh, had about 470, actually 470 residential units. The first thing we did here, Chris, is we developed psychologically a sense of collaboration between the pest management officers, or I should say technicians, management, residents, staff, building management, to ensure engagement. We wanted them to buy into the program because buying into the program leads to early reporting, early intervention. We tried to establish or reestablish a sense of dignity and self-esteem in the tenants, reinforcing that everyone should live in a healthy environment and in the absence of bed bugs. Just to give you a little background, this is a facility that had 80 to 90 bed bug incidents a year requiring treatment. Wow. So overall, we went in, we screened every single unit, including the common spaces. We treated thermally every unit that had a problem, um, <clears throat> but in addition to that, every single unit, because only about oh, X percent, I can't, um, I would say somewhere in the order of about maybe 10% of the units actually had the problem. Every unit received preventive measures, including our flagship product, active guard, and another, a number of other preventive measures. And then we go under a periodic surveillance of these units. It's a two year demonstration. We're in about the 17th month. Mm. Chris, the results to date have been remarkable. I mean, beyond what we had, had, would have envisioned. 97% of all the units did not ha- have not had a reintroduction or reemergence of bed bugs to date. We reduced the number of treatments required by 81% over previous years. We've saved management in the first year $40,000 over previous years, and we're training to do much better in the second year as well. And in our COVID-sensitive time where everyone's worried about social distancing, because we took a preventive approach rather than a reactive approach, the amount of service technician time on site has been reduced by 40%. So, frankly... we believe we've developed a program that transformatively can change the, the landscape of bed
0: And once again, uh, proves the old adage that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So the Attack Program, uh, which is an acronym for Allergy Technologies Affordable Housing Control and Prevention, uh, you, you're uh, wrapping up this uh, this pilot program. What is next? Where do you go next? with this to hopefully uh, expand it and uh, maybe ultimately get to the point where we are on the verge of eradication once again.
2: Well, where we are now is we started in one demonstration site in Philadelphia. We're working with Philadelphia housing authority to expand to multiple sites, to increase this to a more expansive pilot program. And ultimately we plan on rolling this out nationally to various housing authorities throughout the country. Um, but that's just ATAC from a bedbug perspective. Our ultimate goal is to look at all structural pests—roaches, mice, house dust mites—as well as bedbugs, all which contribute to allergic triggers. We call it ATAC asthma, and we're in the developmental phase now of developing a program to really reduce the allergic triggers that these structural pests uh, generate and to improve the quality of life of residents. I mean. In terms of asthma, there's 25 to 30 million Americans that suffer from asthma, and about 50% of them are allergic in nature. Yeah. So this is a huge widespread problem. Um, so our future is very bright, and we're taking kind of baby steps, but ATAC bedbug, um, we really welcome people. We're hoping to roll this out nationwide in the coming months. Uh,
0: the uh, potential here is uh, quite expansive, so... Uh, really exciting news. Again, uh, Joseph Latino is uh, president of Allergy Technologies. Where do folks learn more about this uh, program that you have uh, developed, this uh, proactive uh, approach to attacking uh, bed bugs and potentially other uh, household pests as well?
2: You can go to our website at allergytechnologies.com, learn about bed bugs, learn about Active Guard, learn about the ATTACK program.
0: We will link up to it on our webpage as well. Joseph, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
2: It's really been my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Yesterday, uh, got some rain, real downpours. Is it, I don't know that we got the uh, thunderstorms. Um, I didn't hear any thunder. Of course, I spent most of the day inside of the air conditioning because it was so... Uh, warm and humid muggy as even after the rain came through and it cooled off it was really muggy so it felt warmer than it is that uh, type of weather can continue uh, all week long uh, full week's worth of uh, hot sticky perhaps stormy weather and technically it is not even summer yet not for another nearly two weeks In case you missed it, right before the Memorial Day weekend, we spoke with AccuWeather Chief Meteorologist Jonathan Porter about their outlook for the summer season ahead. And he told us that an unusually hot spring like we've had this year does not necessarily mean a scorcher of a summer is ahead. But that being said, we are in for a hot summer ahead.
5: We are expecting after a very... Hot summer last year, we're expecting another above-average summer uh, in terms of uh, temperatures. Last year, we were almost 3.5 degrees above normal uh, when you look at the summer season combined. We're expecting that to be uh, closer to 1.5 to maybe 2 degrees above normal um, this particular summer. So still above normal in terms of uh, the temperatures, and we'll get plenty of that humidity in at times as well. So uh, there won't be any escaping of that. Um, as is very typical uh, for the summer season. The other thing is it does look like uh, we'll be pretty active uh, with showers and thunderstorms, a pretty active storm track across the Great Lakes up into the northeastern United States. So that's going to bring the opportunity for uh, showers and thunderstorms uh, quite frequently over the upcoming summer, uh, above average rainfall. For the, uh, for the summer season. What about
0: the trends for the rest of the country? I mean, people are obviously going to be traveling during the upcoming weeks and months. Are there some regions where the expectations are particularly noteworthy? Yes, uh, that, that's a great point, Chris. And, uh,
5: you know, traveling and obviously and maybe also have fr- uh, fi- friends and family in other parts of the country. Two things to highlight. First will be the hurricane season. After a record number of 30 named storms in the Atlantic Ocean, Um, last year, and unfortunately 12 direct U.S. impacts, we're expecting another very active hurricane season this year. Not going to be likely as active. That's hard to beat. It was a record, as I mentioned. We're expecting 16 to 20 named storms in the Atlantic Basin this, uh, this year, which is above normal. Seven to 10 of them can become hurricanes and maybe three to five direct U.S. impacts. So along the coast, all the way from Maine to Texas, and into the interior. We're letting folks know to be prepared if a hurricane threat emerges this particular year. It's really important to be prepared in those places. And in the West, it's a whole other problem. There, wildfires were a huge issue last year, and we're expecting again an early, a prolonged, and a high-impact wildfire season because the drought has continued to develop and intensify across much of the West. Eighty-one percent of the western u.s is in drought condition right now wow. that's not good news wow. heading into the heart of wildfire season
0: yeah uh, obviously the key to avoiding weather issues uh, both at home and when you're traveling is preparedness what should we be thinking about in terms of planning ahead with respect to the issues the weather can cause
5: what we find is a little bit of preparation goes a long way so we're here at accuweather to help people enhance their safety um, live better lives, uh, stay healthy and stay safe while still enjoying all of those wonderful outdoor activities that summer is known for. So here's a couple of tips and how we can help on our AccuWeather.com website and also our AccuWeather mobile apps. First is our minute-by-minute minute, uh, weather forecasts, which uh, are excellent because they're right down to your specific street address. We let you know minute by minute for the next four hours when we expect rain to start and stop. So. Think of how handy that is if you're going to go out for a bike ride or you're going to uh, um, you know, think about getting a soccer game in before uh, rain arrives, things of that nature. Such a handy tool that we hear from so many of our users that they absolutely love. Another thing that's a great tip is to turn on push notifications in the AccuWeather mobile apps. That allows us to send you immediately severe weather warnings if they're issued for your community. It can save your life. We've had people many times tell us that they received a tornado warning a warning of intense winds, and many other things, flash flood warning, for example, through our app, and we're able to take action to keep themselves and their family safe. We love to hear those kinds of stories. And then of course, uh, the AccuWeather real field temperature, that is important, especially with the heat and humidity of the summer. We let you know what's the real, what, what does it really feel outside when we combine the temperature, the humidity, the wind, the sun intensity, all those different factors, we let you know what it feels like in the sun and in the shade. And uh, those are all available on all of our AccuWeather uh, websites, mobile apps, and on the AccuWeather television network as well.
0: Our conversation with uh, AccuWeather, Senior Vice President, Chief Meteorologist Jonathan Porter, looking at the outlook for summer season uh, weather wise uh, here and around the country. Our full conversation with uh, John at the uh, Good Mornings Podcast Edition. Uh, you go back to, uh, what was it, the Friday before Memorial Day. Uh, check out the Good Mornings Podcast Edition wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>
2: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert.
0: Today's update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. If you are a longtime listener to this program, you know that the broken news capital of the world is the sunshine state of Florida. And from Ocala, uh, Florida, this morning, uh, officers responded to two restaurants, uh, the Moho Grill and a local Outback Steakhouse after reports that 53-year-old Tina Kindred was acting out of control. Reports stated that Ms. Kindred was topless and banging on tables and windows at the Moho Grill first. She also reportedly flipped over a few tables and was last seen trying to get into a customer's car in the parking lot. She was found driving recklessly in the parking lot, Uh, Prior to officers arriving at the Moho restaurant, before they could even get there, they got a call from the Outback Steakhouse on the same road stating that the same woman had arrived still naked and was acting crazy while breaking things in the bar. (laughs) When officers finally caught up with her, they tried to calm her down, and she started chucking bottles of liquor at them. An officer ended up shooting her with a taser gun to try and defuse the situation, she was then handcuffed and transported to a local hospital for treatment. <laughs> uh, surprise, surprise, she was found to have drugs in her system. She is facing all kinds of charges. <laughs> and the folks at the Moho restaurant and Outback Steakhouse got dinner and a show. <laughs> maybe she just wasn't, uh, maybe her steak just wasn't cooked to order. I don't know it's sets people off this is an unusual story i mean i know people are very uh, passionate about their chick-fil-a but this i think may be taking it to the extreme authorities in kansas uh, were forced to arrest a man after he allegedly attacked a grocery store worker because he was reportedly upset over a disagreement regarding chick-fil-a sauce they sell in grocery stores uh the chick-fil-a sauce i mean chick-fil-a is good stuff but uh a physical altercation with a grocery store worker is probably going a little bit too far police say that james hirsch got into an argument with an employee at a local gro- grocery store in wichita on wednesday uh, he ended up reportedly punching the worker after being told to leave the store He then allegedly drove his car to an area where workers were standing in front of the store and threatened them before speeding off. He was reportedly arrested the following day. A witness says Mr. Hirsch got angry that the store was selling Chick-fil-A sauce, but local authorities uh, stated the altercation was sparked over a disagreement um, over the sauce, but would not confirm the nature of the disagreement. So He's reportedly been charged with aggravated assault. Is he just upset that they were selling the sauce and they weren't... uh, Uh, It it should only be sold at Chick-fil-A stores, apparently. It shouldn't be sold at the grocery store? I don't know. I don't know what his his issue was. (laughs) It's all triggered by Chick-fil-A sauce. (laughs) Well, okay then. This is a crazy story from the International File. A Welsh man, Wales, is recovering from burns on his feet after stepping onto a beach with boiling sand i didn't even know this was this was a thing 33 uh, year old danny howard was at barmouth beach in wales when he stepped onto a patch of sand where somebody had been uh somebody had a, like a campfire a barbecue fire there on the beach despite it being an hour since the coals were doused the superheated sand still managed to melt the skin off the bottom of his foot. He was alone at the time, so he had to drive himself to the hospital using only his toes on the on the pedals. It was treated for the burns, which seared through two layers of skin. He will have some time to recover at home for six to 12 weeks while attending weekly appointments to, to the burn unit. Recover. You're going to recover, but whoa, man burning boiling sand That's, be careful where you walk on the beach It's the moral of that story uh let's see here sometimes there is a downside to winning the lottery 59 year old michigan man tells lottery officials that he bought a winning millions scratch-off ticket at a local speedway service station in fenton michigan and he was scratching the ticket while filling his car is fueling up, <coughs> scratches the ticket, discovered he had won a million-dollar prize. He said he was so excited, he forgot he was filling up the car and drove away with a gas pump still in his car. The nozzle and the hose still in his car. <laughs> I can understand that. I really can forgive uh, forgive him for, uh, for making that mistake. If uh, somebody told me that I had just won a million dollars, I might do that, too. He said his plan is to use his winnings to buy a new house and a new car and take a vacation, and he probably has to fix the gas pump as well. (laughs) I'm guessing that's going to (laughs) be where some of that money goes. And finally, in the broken news this morning, it is no secret that parking in a big city can be expensive. But this is ridiculous. In Hong Kong, a parking space in... Uh, located at the luxury Mount Nicholson residential project in one of the city's most affluent neighborhoods just got sold. So this is one of those cities where you actually buy a reserve parking space. And in this case, right outside of, you know, this person's apartment building, it's sold for, are you ready for this? $1.3 million is what somebody paid for just a parking space. I mean, that's that's like 10 times more than my home. but uh, And that's just for the parking space. Uh, the astounding price easily beats the previous record of $980,000 set two years ago for a spot in an office tower. That is crazy. Million three for a parking space. What kind of car do you park in... A space like that. I mean, I'm guessing it's probably not a an old beat-up Datsun or something. You know what I mean? This must be a pretty nice car. There you go. That is today's Broken News. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and
2: Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices.
0: Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, and the statistics that shape our lives. Do you know the washing machine was patented on this date in 1824? And the folks at Whirlpool... Recently, commissioned a survey of 2,000 parents in the US with children between the ages of 3 and 18, and they found that the average home goes through 2,184 pounds of laundry every year. So, when you say, Man, it seems like I do a ton of laundry, you do, in fact, do a ton of laundry and then some. 2,184 pounds of laundry. Every year in the average home. That is, it says you're the weight of an adult black rhinoceros. (laughs) Literally a ton of laundry. Not a big surprise. Kids are a large part of the reason why the average child, this survey found, goes through three outfits on a typical day. Three. Seven in ten parents, 71% feel like they witness a daily fashion show as their child changes their clothes so often. <laughs> uh, the uh, study also, and again, this is uh, 2,000 parents in the U.S. with kids between the ages of 3 and 18, uh, also asked about home messes in general and revealed the survey revealed that kids are so energetic and active and are so messy that the average bedroom, the average child's bedroom only stays clutter free for 17 minutes. (laughs) That's it. 17 minutes. And I would think, uh, based on my childhood and my experience as a parent, which fortunately my kids are older than that. Now they're responsible for their own laundry, but, uh, 17 minutes is generous. <laughs> I don't know about the three outfits a day. I, I don't remember that Mike is. Maybe they did, and I just didn't notice. I was oblivious to this. But three outfits a day, that is that is quite a number there. But uh, the average kid's bedroom only stays clutter-free for 17 minutes, and that's, uh, that's being generous. Uh, so, <laughs> some of these statistics that shape our lives in today's Daily Download. Well, perhaps the word of the year in 2020, and so far in 2021 for that matter, has been binging. And what have we been doing while we we have been binge-watching Netflix and binging out on Family Game Night and everything else? We are binge-snacking. And it's understandable, really. Stressful times call for comfort food, but not all snacks are created equal. And joining us with advice on how to snack better is Bonnie Taub-Dix, registered dietitian, author of Read It Before You Eat It, taking you from... Label to table. And Bonnie, we have seen a change in the snacking habits of Americans uh, during this pandemic.
3: We have. We have. We seem to be snacking more, but snacking has also taken on a different meaning where it is even going beyond comfort. It has a lot to do with connection, with everybody joining in at the table um, but, you know, this is also a time where snacking really needs to look beyond delicious, even though we do love delicious snacks. We also have to look for snacks that are nutritious and good for us.
0: Yeah, you, you talk about it, you reference uh, that, the, that the best snacks are, are multitaskers. Uh, and as we said, not all snacks are created equal. So, what do we look for when picking stuff to snack on?
3: Well, you know, what I mean by multitasker is a snack that does a lot of different things at once. And I'll give you a perfect example. Whole natural almonds provide a whopping six grams of plant protein, three grams of fiber, vitamin E, and a good source of magnesium. And, you know, it's not just the foods that we eat, but it's also beverages that we drink that we want to look for benefits from. So almond milk has 50% more calcium than dairy milk. And that's an excellent source of calcium and vitamin E and vitamin D and a good source of vitamin A. And, you know, something else that I have found, I don't know about you, but um, the family structure has changed quite a bit during the pandemic. And some family members are coming home that weren't here before. So we have to look for all different types of diets, like vegetarian diets, gluten-free diets, lactose-free, sugar-free So there's so many other things that we have to consider.
0: And a good point is that we need to think about these things as we are making out our grocery list, as we are walking up and down the aisles of the grocery or we're ordering online, because whatever it is that we have handy is what we're going to snack on. So uh, we need to think about this uh, in, in more than just the moment.
3: Exactly. And, you know, just imagine that if we swapped out a few sugary snacks that we would otherwise choose and instead swap in almonds, that could really have a big impact on our overall state of health because, you know, not every snack obviously provides health benefits, but almonds actually may promote heart health and stabilize your blood sugar levels. And it could also help you manage your weight because it's so filling. And one of the things that we look for when we look for a snack is we look for snacks that taste good. And I know that sounds kind of dumb, but it really makes a difference. I love the honey roasted uh, almonds on my salads. So I think that when you have this versatility in your house, um, there's a tendency to really just enjoy it without having to overdo it or
0: binge, as you mentioned. There is, I think, a, a misperception, and I want to uh, ask you: Is this a misperception that the uh, some of the varieties are less healthy or a, a uh, lesser, uh, less good choice than just your your basics? Does it matter?
3: I think a lot depends upon what you're eating. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. when you eat something that has a lot of flavor, you don't have to have a very big portion of it because it really Mm -hmm. is providing a lot of of flavor at once. But the other thing is that, you know, as I mentioned in my book, a food that is 140 milligrams or less of sodium is considered to be a low-sodium Food, so you'd be surprised that if you read the label on a lot of these crave almonds, um, you'd see that it actually fits the bill for even being low in sodium. So I think that they happen to be very healthy.
0: So if the underlying food is is good for you, then uh, it's less of a concern about the various. Variety. Choose a variety you like, as long as the underlying food, and the underlying snack, uh, is a healthy choice.
3: Yes, yes, and I think that that variety is really important, and it also depends on what else you're you're making with it. Sure. Uh, you know, for example, I use um, just the whole natural almonds if I'm making a dish where I want to use my own seasoning and spices and have that stand out, but if I was making an asian dish for example the wasabi and soy nuts mm-hmm. really add a nice a nice flavor so those almonds would be the ones i would choose for that kind of dish and so on
0: again uh, bonnie taub Dix is a registered dietitian uh, author of read it before you eat it taking you from label to table uh, spokesperson for uh, blue diamond where do we get uh, more information on healthy snacking
3: well, you could go to BlueDiamond.com or you could go to my website, com. There's lots of great recipes on both and wonderful information.
0: We will link up to it on our webpage. Bonnie, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me here. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. Remember, you can get more information on all of the topics that we talk about each day at our webpage page. That is goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. You can also connect with us on social media. Shoot us an email with anything you'd like to share directly. Sign up for our daily email newsletter. Again, goodmornings.net for all of that and more. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.